Hey, welcome to Bulls Gold here on Nothing But Net Radio, a part of Dash Radio. I'm Edward Shuler, joined by Salim Sudawala. Salim, how's it going? It's going good, Ed. Just another, I always say, like, lazy Sunday, a long line of lazy Sundays. It's kind of become um, like Groundhog's Day every Sunday. It's just the same old, same old. But yeah, things are going well. Can't really complain. I had a, a decent weekend. I saw Mortal Kombat. Uh, I know a lot of people are complaining about it, but I mean, when you go into mo- into watching Mortal Kombat, like you know, what are you expecting? It's just supposed to be a, like a crappy movie that's just fight scenes, and you know, I don't know why you would like come out, come, go in thinking like people are complaining about like the acting, does the script. It's like <laughs> that's not what you do when you go. Like, what are you expecting when you're watching Mortal Kombat? Like, why are you going in? You know, thinking it's going to be like Martin Scorsese. <laughs> so I haven't seen it and I don't know a ton about Mortal Kombat. So from like a casual, like a casual perspective, like, is it a bad movie? Is it entertaining? Like, what is- Yeah, it's entertaining. Like some really cool fight scenes. Um, this one's a lot more. I mean, because the, the last one they made was 90. So they obviously didn't have it. the CGI. It wasn't as good as it is now. So I think you see better fight scenes. Um, the only problem I personally had, I didn't really like the lead character much, but it's entertaining. That's that's all I ask for for a movie like this. I don't really ask for it to be some nuanced, in-depth character building, you know, all that stuff. It just, just entertained me. Like, even with, like, King Kong versus Godzilla, man, what are you looking for? It's like a big... Is a giant ape and a giant lizard fighting. What what do you as long as I see that and them really going at each other, kicking each other's asses, I'm I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's one player on the Bulls after uh Saturday's game who I think a lot of fans wanted to see in a fight scene, and that would be uh Denzel Valentine after he took that three-point shot. So we're gonna get into that. <laughs> and we have the perfect person to talk to about that game, the past few games, the Bulls are two and two in their last four games since we last recorded uh, wins over the Boston Celtics and the Charlotte Hornets, but lost to Miami and then lost to Cleveland after they beat Cleveland uh, the Saturday before that. But uh, joining us on today's Bulls Gold co-host of the Big Red Bus, C-Red Fred. Fred, how's it going, man? Edward Salim, it's great to talk to you guys. It's an honor to be on Bulls Gold. And, uh, you know, like Mary Lou Retton in the uh, 1984 Olympics, I hope I can deliver the big medal today. It's going to be tough because last <laughs> night was not easy for me. I was up uh, tossing and turning for a lot of the evening with one of my favorite players not coming through at the end. It stayed off of Twitter. I thought that was a, the right move. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll give my best. I hope we, we, I hope we can turn things around just like the blow Oh, our friend Marquis, shout out to Marquis. He, ne- he never lets you forget. So it's, it's <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know if you saw, I don't know if you saw, I tweeted, uh, you know, the in-depth uh, commentary that he had. It yeah, was literally yeah. just ha ha ha, <laughs> probably about 200 of them direct just over and over again. Ha ha ha. Uh, in a DM. So that was pretty good. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure I was, I'm sure after being disappointed with Dendel's shot, the second thought he had was complete laughter that uh, about me, you know, and my reaction at home. <laughs> it was it was a very interesting evening because the whole night, you know, my son was next to me. We were watching the game. I'm like, Denzel is just take that's three for three from three point range. He's going to win this game. 
I'm telling you, he's going to win this game. And then when he stopped for that heat check, you know, 35 footer, when the ball was in the air, I was sure it was going in. And, uh, well, it didn't go in. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I don't <laughs> think I've ever been. seen him. So now I was saying, I don't think I've ever seen him hit a shot that far. So like this, I don't really? know. Really? I, I don't oh, remember yeah. from that far. He I don't like, remember. He hit a shot like that a couple of weeks ago, right before the quarter. I get ended, or maybe it was the half. I can't remember, you know, what team. And, he, you know, I just know when he gets like that, you know, he gets that heat check. He's had runs like that, you know, this year. Um, I remember he was really hot against uh, the Pelicans when the eight for eight with uh, with um, Kobe White and Zach Levine. He had four three-pointers in that game. He had a real nice run there, I think, in the third quarter. He's had a few nice runs like that. I just believe we were going to end up winning the game. And I was so mad at the performances of everyone else on the team. You know, Sato put up a big over three despite his uh, legions of fans. And, um, you know, just the starter sucked again. So I, I thought he was up until that point absolutely fantastic. But, you know, he took the shot. It was passed around Twitter. And now, you know, the greater part of the U.S. thinks that he was a complete buffoon last night when in reality, we won't even have been in that situation. It wasn't for his performance in Kobe White's. I mean, I'll give you credit. He was plus seven in about 18 minutes. So, I mean, he was doing some things right. But, I mean, that shot, though, was just. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we started the quarter. It was 80 to to 63, right? So, we scored, uh, you know, we go into that fourth quarter down 80-63. We scored 38 points. Uh, Kobe and Denzel, you know, had the vast majority of them. Kobe was fantastic in Q4. Denzel was great on both ends of the court. He had two key defensive plays, including a strip of Butler that led to three, uh, you know, threes. And uh, but again, it's only going to remember for his uh, ill-advised T check three, um, and then the you know tsunami of uh, of hate on Twitter and uh, some comments which I found amusing. You know, others uh, a little bit more hateful and vile. But uh, regardless, he's our tenth man. He'll be gone next year, and we'll have to find a new guy to focus our outrage on. Well, I think <laughs> I do think like the the shot like overshadow his very next play where he gave up that really bad and one. So uh, he <laughs> I had a bad block had, that one out. Thanks yeah. for reminding me, Snoop. <laughs> well, well, I got. I, that's what I'm here for, Fred. I got to make sure I let you know all of Gonzalez's uh, <laughs> blunders. <laughs> Would you? Think yeah, that was pretty bad too. That subsequent play that kind of that really ended it. That put the you know nail in the coffin there. But you know, again, like I said, we weren't even been in that situation as a fan base. I think we kind of have to focus on the other issues with this team. Uh, you know, as I said, Denzel will be gone ne- next year. Um, I keep on hearing people too also blaming this on Garen Pax. Denzel Valentine was signed by our tourists. He was a guy that you didn't need to be on this team. He could have easily let him walk, and 96% of the fan base would have celebrated that move. He chose to bring him back. So that's on a tourist, not, not on Gar Pax. Um, you know, those guys are gone. We have to start focusing on what our tourists has done to improve this team. I thought it was a good move. You know, I, I appreciated it. I thought, you know, he's a good 10th guy, ninth or 10th guy in the roster who can shoot, can handle the ball well, can rebound, can pass well. Um, but uh, then you also have to live with some of the moments like we had last night. So I'm really looking forward to his departure just for uh, so I can you know get a little bit more enjoyment out of these games instead of having to you know defend Denzel against, I feel like the movie 300 often where just <laughs> armies coming at me and I'm throwing out stats and, and, and no one, no one seems to, uh, very few seem to support me in, in my endeavor to defend I'm, his cause. But anyhow, 
I have a confession because I mean, I in those uh, draft, I liked Denzel Valentine in college. I thought he was a solid player. Like he could pass, he could. Oh, he was. Shoot it. He was like, a he was good player of the year. I mean, he was fantastic for Michigan State. I love Michigan State players. I think Tom Izzo is probably the best, one of my favorite coaches ever. He's a fantastic college coach who's brought a, you know, a, an organization like Michigan State to many Final Fours, and he's, I th- I love a lot of players coming out of there. Uh, you know, Miles Bridges come to mind. Another guy I really liked in a recent draft, but you know, it hasn't really worked out. He's been either injured or um, in Boylan's doghouse. And I think Boylan actually had a lot to do with what happened last night. I think he had such limited opportunities last season that I always felt like every time he got in the game, he felt like I needed to chuck it up and to make something happen. And I still think that kind of echoes today. But, you know, I, I always say this. I know people laugh like Denzel's not afraid to lose the game. This is a true story. And I'm a coach of a sixth grade basketball team. I, I told this, I think, on another pod. I don't know if you guys heard this, but it's a true story. 30 seconds were left in a game last year. We were up by or down by one. We called the timeout and I asked who wants to take the winning shot. And this is a travel team. So this is like the best of the best in the Northwest Burbs area. You know, take a guess out of 12 guys on the roster. How many people raised, you know, rose their hands? How many players? What would you think? Maybe like I want to take the five. I don't know. Three, three, three. And I really only believe two. I only believe one of them was really serious about it. The other two were, you know, half-heartedly kind of holding up their hands. I think even in the NBA, I think that's true. I, you know, even guys that have got to that point, there's still a greater fear to take the shot because you don't want to be the Denzel Valentine of last night. Um, and you see that reluctance at the end of games all the time. You know, it's probably not as uh, it's not uh, not anywhere near the three out of 12 ratio, but I still think it's probably 50 percent. And I think that's a big problem with some of the players in our team that we're looking you know, towards being staples of the future. I think you're 100 percent right, because and, and uh, I've joked about this a few times, but I've, I've been saying that I would love to take Denzel Valentine's confidence and just roll it up and give it to every single rookie or young player that this team has had, because I feel like at bare minimum, just having more confidence would help so much. I mean, especially in a player like Lowry or Wendell, when Wendell was here, like I, I wish Wendell sometimes was just selfish and just had like heat checks like that. I mean, it, granted, I mean, uh, there's no defense to the shot, but I do really admire that Denzel Valentine is really the step up and he just seems fearless, even if it is, comes at the cost of bad basketball IQ plays. But I do think you also have a good point that players have developed losing habits while they're here. And that's kind of a downside of the rebuild. And that's also been the downside of bad coaching. So you just haven't really had the positive impact on players that we really could have had. Uh, Take, for example, uh, when campaign was here, we were talking about uh, most hated players before we started recording and campaign is definitely one of them. Campaign is now the backup point guard on a really good Western Conference team. I, exactly. I don't know how that happens, but it, it just shows you the difference in how situations can help younger players or uh, less proven players. Like a better culture can really improve players. So even a player like Denzel Valentine, who knows, he could go somewhere next year and end up being okay. Like it's it, it really just shows you the difference. And the Bulls are not quite there yet, even though I – do still see signs that they can improve their culture, but it just kind of shows you like the, how much the lack of a positive culture has really hurt the team. I agree a hundred percent. I mean, you look at a guy like uh, 
Tony Snell, who had much better success in Milwaukee. He had much better success now, but Atlanta, he's one of the best three point shooters in the NBA. You look at a guy like Doug McDermott, who Doug McDermott's going to get a significant contract this offseason. And, you know, he was just relegated to bus status here in Chicago. And he moved on to Indiana and became a, a solid NBA player with a top 10, uh, you know, top 10 three point percentage that is going to earn him more than the mid-level exception. So it, it, there's a long list of guys like that. And we just forget about it and we don't, don't talk about it. Um, James Johnson, another guy that comes to mind who I didn't think was really optimized here in Chicago. We only focus on the guys that you know, Tibbs has developed into better players, but you know, it goes back longer than that. And I have no doubt that Denzel Valentine will be in the NBA for at least three more years, not on the bulls, but um, you know, will he be a rotation player? I don't know, but he's not going to be playing in China as I saw, you know, quite a bit. Uh, relayed on Twitter last night. So, <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it's funny. It's it's true that you say that. Where a lot of these guys, obviously, they're not stars or are meant to be stars. But you look at even we go back to the baby bulls days, and I, this is something we've mentioned in the past. We had guys like Elton Brand, Ron Artest, Brad Miller, Tyson Chandler, uh, Jamal Crawford. All these guys who are on teams that were just really awful, some of these really bad Bulls teams, but obviously they went on to have really nice careers on other organizations. Um, and not to say like Elton Brand and, and Brad Miller, they weren't bad or struggled, mm-hmm. but guys like Tyson and obviously Jamal, you know, they had their headaches, but eventually they just needed a change of scenery, a fresh start somewhere else, and they kind of found their place. Uh, in the league, you know, so that's the same thing I can see happening. I, you know, people are down on Larry right now. Uh, and rightfully, it's not to say it's wrong to be down on Larry. Uh, even Kobe, you know, people have the complaints on him. People have their complaints, had their complaints on Wendell. But I think sometimes oh, I yeah. think it just it's comes down to a change of scenery. And these guys who are not meant to be stars and put too much pressure on them to be saviors of a franchise they just meant to be a fourth or fifth or sixth guy or even, you know, whatever, just a, a rotation piece and be a functional piece on a good team. They can do that elsewhere. So we, you bring up a great point. Although I think it's more than that, a change of senior. I think there is something toxic for whatever reason in the fan base here in Chicago. That's not everywhere else. Like I know for certain it's not in Oklahoma city. I know for certain it's not in Miami after having spent time in both locations. And you talk to the beat writers who have spent time in both locations and they'll tell you the same thing. You brought up Tyson Chandler. That's a perfect example. Tyson Chandler was despised by 90% of the fan base when he left town. And, um, you know, he later went on to win a title with the, as a key member of that Dallas Mavericks team. We do this continually. Look how Paul Gasol was treated here for signing less money. He made an all NBA team in his first season. In his second season, he was uh, an all-star. He made an all-star both years. Yet he was, you know, victim of some of the most vile, despicable criticisms on Twitter that I don't understand why, because he couldn't move really well. We knew that before he came here. You know, it's just bewildering to me how some guys are really treated in the city. I, I, it's. I don't think it's. It's that's the same in, in all fan bases. So I don't know what it is. I don't know why it is. Uh, you know, maybe it has something to do with Gar Packs. I, I have no idea. But it continues because 
I saw it last night. I mean, some of these comments were ridiculous. You know, it went well beyond uh, Denzel sucks to a whole nother level, right? And, uh, you know, who cares? Big picture. It doesn't matter, really. But, you know, then again, I, I don't think campaign is waxing poetic about playing in Chicago with his teammates in Phoenix. And, you know, he's clearly doing something right. Cause he is a rotation player. I just watched it again today. I was consistently amazed at how good he looks for that Phoenix team. And think about how campaign was uh, treated in the city, you know, for probably, you know, good reasons too, but maybe not, maybe not all of them. So good. Yeah. Okay. I was just saying, I think that's, a lot to do with just the bigger market. The more more fans there are, um, the louder it'll get. It just you compare like Oklahoma City, Miami to Chicago. I mean, you may combine those fan bases, and they may not even be half the size of the Bulls fan base. You know, it just kind of shows it. Just like the louder, the more people there are, the more me likely there'll be more me heads in, in that fan base like the me heads <laughs> the me heads get drowned out more in the smaller fan bases come to chicago like I'll, I'll i'll make jokes about stuff but i'll never like add a player and i'll never say anything like really vile about a player like i'm never right. gonna like yeah. hope like bad things happen to them you know mm-hmm. like i at worst, of I'll just course. say I don't, course, yeah. I don't want him on my team i don't want him on my team but like i'm not gonna hope like you know that because you, you see it, you see that like bile, like they want bad things, like they hope bad things on their family. It's like, man, relax, oh, not that serious. I, I agree a hundred percent. And that's the whole reason I got into the podcast business in two thousand and seven because I was consistently amazed at how many people were criticizing Ben Gordon, who to me was like, this guy's insanely clutch. It's one of the best fourth quarter performers I've seen in a Bulls uniform outside of Michael Jordan. And people are just tearing him apart about his defense and, you know, worshiping a guy like Kirk Heinrich, who I would also counter was the most overrated player I've ever seen. So, you know, it's fine to have an opinion. It's fine to, you know, uh, this, you know, uh, voice your displeasure, but when it, I think it crosses the line a lot. And uh, I think last night was a very good example of that I'm trying to interrupt you, Edward. Oh, well, no, I was just agreeing with Salim that like, and, and I was telling uh, Davis on the, uh, on this podcast that th- there's just a big difference in how you like live too, that like versus a big market versus a small market. Like you brought, uh, we brought up Wendell Carter jr. You go to, you go to Orlando and Orlando is not like a, it's not like a like tiny city, but like you go to Orlando to play basketball. Like you can just kind of just live your life. Like you can buy a home shop at Walmart, play basketball. Like it's not, like, yeah, anything like crazy you have to do, but you go in Chicago. Chicago's a big market, and fans are just like really passionate, and everyone wants to see a banner here. And it's just like it's tough playing under those lights. It's tough looking up and seeing all those banners and seeing Jordan, seeing Pippen under those lights. Like stepping into the United Center is a lot different than stepping into uh, Orlando plays at Amway Arena. I think it, it's it's such a different feeling. So it probably feels good for some players to play in Orlando or Phoenix or Sacramento or wherever, just to, just to play ball. Like they don't have to really worry about things like that. So I think that can contribute to some of it. Like Chicago, when the bulls ever, when the bulls get back to that spot that we want them to be in, it will be with players who embrace that feeling of like succeeding in a big market who can succeed in a big market zach levine is showing that like yo i can do this in a big market this is nothing to me 
Vucevic so far is playing really well in a really big market after playing in Orlando for uh, like nine seasons. So it, it seems like we have these players who are embracing that moment. And you look at this Miami game and outside of Kobe and uh, Vooch, we just didn't get a whole lot from players. So it, it, it just... And Denzel. Yeah, like, it, 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 that's kind of like the same story as it was with Zach Levine and Vooch. Like, Zach and Vooch are producing, and then outside of that, you're just getting kind of, you're just getting kind of like donut holes and six points, two points, three points, four points, five points. Like, it's just, it's not enough. So the Bulls kind of have to get out of this rhythm of, of like just the same song over and over again, like, and actually get production from everyone else. And oh, can't agree more. So, and as a yeah. as a kind of follow up, what you're saying it's like, you know, really quick to jump on some players, but other players, are, I I don't understand why there isn't any more concern about Patrick Williams' play lately. It's just like the guy you can't you can't criticize. I feel like I have to apologize if I point out a negative aspect of his game. You know, like when Zach went out, I'm like, all right, he will. This is and believe me, I. I was a guy who kind of doubted him originally. I, then obviously you see the immense talent he has as far as skills go and the body, the guy, you know, has everything you would possibly want or need in order to be a great player. And I don't understand how you can't have concern about his play of late. Like the six games since Zach went out, he's shooting 33% from three. He's averaging less than one free throw per game, shooting that at 60% rate and 7.3 points per game. As soon as he went out, I'm like, step up. Watching the game yesterday, Duncan Robinson's on him. Duncan Robinson sucks. Duncan Robinson can't guard a fire hydrant, and he did nothing. Absolutely nothing. And everybody's like, well, that's on Billy. No, it's not on Billy. As Billy said in the postgame, he's got as much freedom to be aggressive as he needs to be. And this is game 59. Like, 59. And I know you have to add this. You have to add it to every statement you make about Pat, Pat Wells. He's 19 years old. But, I, you know, I, I kind of called out on Twitter today. Last year, Kobe White in his 59th game, uh, what was the stats that he put up? And um, let me look this up really quick. 59th game for Kobe White last year as a rookie. 35 points. 13 to 21, six and nine from three, three to three from the free throw line, seven boards, three assists, plus 15. Can you imagine if Patrick Williams put up that line last night? What would we be saying? What would be the, the general A star is born. A star is, he's never remotely even come close to those kind of numbers all season. His season, his season high was 22 points, which he got mainly from attacking the basket for once, getting set up with nice dunks. I, I don't understand like the reticence to say, Hey, I want a little bit more. I Am I, I insane? No. So Am I don't I disagree with you. There is something where I wonder, like he, he is too passive. He's his aggression isn't there. Uh, one other thing I'll say though, is I don't really like making comparisons as far as to guys like Kobe and all these other guys. Cause coming into the draft, we knew that he was more raw, Overall, offensively, he doesn't have a lot of offensive skill sets. Um, you see some of the potential there. Like I, I know his handles on the pull up J are, are fine, but he's not really a guy that can handle the ball in traffic. Um, his shot mechanics uh, on the three point, like I was, is more robotic. It's a setup shot. It's not really a shot that he can really get off the dribble. 
Um, so stuff like that. So the so when you mix that in with his lack of aggressiveness, I think both of those kind of make him look worse on offense than you would and another another guard. Like you look at a guy like Anthony Edwards, he's a lot more developed offensively than a guy like Pat Williams, even though they might be about the same age. It's just about the development of, of your skill set. I look at a guy like Jalen Brown. He was about the same. Like he averaged like six points a game his rookie year because he just wasn't very developed. It's all about how he'll develop. I, I am a little concerned about the lack of aggressiveness, but we'll see when he has a good offseason, a full offseason, a, a summer uh, league, summer league, I should say. Again, uh, working out in the offseason with the coaches, development, uh, the, the, the internal development departments. We'll see. And then obviously, again, having a full training camp. Then we can see, does he, did he make any further developments from what we saw last season? Did he add anything to his game? Is he more with his, uh, with his uh, dribbling ability? Has he developed that? So little things like that, I'll, I'll see next season, and I'll be probably more concerned if we don't see any development then. Uh, but at this point, I'm, I'm kind of you know, in that middle where I understand I'm worried about the lack of aggressiveness but I understand that he's very limited offensively and in, in, in what he can do. So then the lack of aggressiveness mixed together just m- makes everything look a lot worse. I like the Jalen Brown mention. I think that's a, I think that's a pretty good comparison in terms of rookies. Uh, Jalen Brown only started 20, 20 games, his rookie season and the Bulls, uh, Patrick Williams was starting all season, but I still like, like you, I think that's fine. Like, I think it, it, it's, it's a tough situation because like you said, the Bulls aren't getting a ton of production from Pat and a lot of other players. But it's it, it, Patrick Williams is still kind of contributing on the defensive end too. So I mean, he does have that working for him. But I, I don't know. Like he's a he's a really raw offensive player, and the Bulls are just kind of getting what they can from him at really any cost right now. I mean, like Fred, would you have? I guess at any point during the season, would you have thought differently about keeping him in the starting lineup? Would you have maybe moved him to the, what, what would have been your approach with him? I never agreed with him starting. I thought it was a massive mistake that you didn't need to do that set him up for failure. He didn't start at all in college. I thought it was bordering on insane that he started the season uh, in the starting lineup. Now in, in, in retrospect, it worked out to a certain degree, but, you know, people don't want to talk about the fact that our starting lineup has sucked all year. It's been continually getting their ass kicked all season long. Wendell Carter Jr. took a lot of the, the heat for it. Kobe White took a lot of the heat for it. Changes were made. You know, but I brought up the point in a recent stretch, he went 17 to 18 games with a negative plus minus. I don't ever judge any player on a plus minus for one game. I absolutely look at it over stretches of games. And when you go 17 of 18 games from, I think it was like March, it was a month, basically March 14th through April 14th with a negative plus minus, for whatever reason, the Bulls are getting their ass kicked when you're on the floor. And I thought at that moment, he should have been changed. I brought this up in my interview with Casey Johnson and he agreed with me. I think the Bulls would be better served to put him on the bench, have him play his position where I think he's best suited for, which is the four. I don't agree that he's a great defensive player on the perimeter. I've, that's another thing. I, there's a constant narrative that he's really good defensively. And he definitely has moments where you 
you know, slack job that block. I can't remember what game it was specifically, but I mean, he's done some incredible things on a defensive end, but there's a massive difference between doing some incredible plays on a defensive end and being a good defender. He has not, in my opinion, been anywhere near a good defender this season. I'm consistently watching every time I watch it. I watch a game and watch it twice. And I try to focus on certain players. He's always out of position on the weak side. He's never far enough over. He's never rotating right, but he's 19. You know, so I'm, I understand that, right? I'm not blaming Patrick for it, but he, to me, is not a great defender. Um, and like, you know, you, I, these narratives, I always laugh at the Clippers game comes to mind because I didn't watch that live, but I followed the game on Twitter and I'm reading everybody's comments and, oh, he's guard, you know, he's what a job on Kawhi. He's doing a great job on Kawhi. Then I watched the game and Kawhi scored at will at 35 points. His season high was 36. Like, what are you talking about? He didn't do anything to stop. Yeah, he was guarding him, but he didn't stop him. Like, you know, so that's my my point on Patrick. Like, I don't get the – I think the, the general feeling about him going to be a superstar. He, I would say, let's – you know, like I had a – I put up a poll, and I did it on purpose just to try to see the – take the pulse of the fan base. Would you trade Patrick Williams, in essence, other pieces to make the trade work out for Bradley Beal? 40% of the fan base, 40% of the fan base said they would not trade him for Bradley Beal, which I think is beyond freaking insane. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's a legit all-star in his prime, who's, you know, basically gone, I think, I think at that point, like 29 or 30 games of outscoring Patrick Wool season high. And you you would rather keep Patrick Williams than Bradley Beal? I, I don't get it. What am I missing? No, you you so I'll, I'll say uh, that. I would have done in a heartbeat and the wizards will laugh and hang yeah. up. But this is what I'll agree. And I'll agree with right, you again. Right. Fred. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll agree with you again, but he isn't a good defender. I think I always say he shows potential to be a really good defender. He has the tools, the skill set to be a really good defender. And again, you're hundred percent, right? He's out of position. He shouldn't be guarding perimeter guys all game. And that's again, an issue with the more so roster construction because they don't really have a lot of guys You're that right. you can stick on the perimeter. Um, so yeah, they got he, Temple. Yeah, it's a, yeah Temple. And yeah. then when Temple's out, you you know you have a nobody else. So yeah, he should be at the four. Uh, I agree with you. At some point, it probably would have made sense to bring him off the bench, or at worst, put him at four because he's been at the three all season, and that's again that's been a problem in my opinion. I think that's that's a, a certain amount of problem where you're not probably developing him where he should be developed and where his natural position is at. And I, I disagree on one thing you said, Slim, earlier about him not being skilled. Like Cody Westerland brought this up. That's how he was advertised to us, that he was a former point guard. He had all those high skills. And I think he is highly skilled. I'm blown away at some of the stuff this kid does in the court in terms of passing. And uh, like he's had a really – every game, almost every game, he's had a pass where I've been like, wow, that was, that was, that was beautiful. Like a one-handed cross the court pass, whatever, but it's not yielding assist. It's not like he's, he, overall the numbers aren't kind of being converted into what I was hoping for, you know, like uh, where he's at now, nine points a game as a starter playing significant minutes. It's just, and he's not rebounding at a high rate. I think it's like, a, he's probably at a nine, four, one right now terms of, you know, nine points a game, four rebounds or five rebounds somewhere around there and one assist a game. It's my, my concern is that big, the big 
point is here is I know how important this guy is to success and the future plans of this team. He's extremely important. He's got to be the, the guy who develops in that third star. My question for you and, and anybody I talked about the Bulls is, are you confident he's going to be a star? Or, or are you think it's more likely he won't be? You know, that's the question. And you know, I'd love to get your opinion. Is he a star or is he a rotation player? I think his floor is a rotation player or a starter. That's the yeah. like he's going to be good. Star, like the, the fine. An all-star. An all-star. Is he going to make multiple okay. all-stars? You know, is it like Lou Aldang made multiple all-stars? Is he going to be that good? Uh, you know, Lil, go ahead. No, it's, it's hard to say right now. I mean, it's really hard to say. Like for me coming into this season, when I looked at who he was, I was like, you know what? I think his floor is 3 and D player. And we'll see going forward what he develops into as – we get into year two, three, and so forth. Um, and when I say r- like skill wise, I meant just as a score. Like he's not that developed as a score. Um, obviously, right. he, he's a heady player because that's why you see him make some really nice passes and things like that. But I just that's what I meant. Like as as a score, he's not that developed. He doesn't have a lot of moves in or ars- weapons in his arsenal or whatever, if you will, to really, you know, rely on if he's not either being, if he's not either going to that mid range shot, I mean, it's just either cuts to the basket or setting up at the three point line. Cause he doesn't, like I said, he doesn't have a lot of man- uh, maneuvers or ability to really create for himself in that, in that manner yet. So that's what I mean. Like he's raw in that sense. I'll say this. Go ahead, Edward. I, I think the, I remember when we first started talking about Patrick Williams, I said that if he turned into Luol Dang, I would be fine with that. Like, Luol Dang was a good basketball player. I know that will freak everyone out hearing that, but I think Luol Dang was a good basketball player who could have been a starting small forward for some really, really good, like, for a title team. And he was a starting small forward for us when we were contenders. So, I mean, if that's the result we get, I'm fine with that. But I, I know people have higher expectations than Luol Deng. And I guess at that point, maybe you could look at a career trajectory. I mean, he's only five years in now, but Salim already brought him up of Jalen Brown. And you look at Jalen Brown and during his first four seasons, he wasn't really an all-star yet. Fifth season, he turns into an all-star and he made a really big jump, but he made gradual improvements year after year after year. So it feels like to me, based on what Patrick Williams is now, where he does have some raw elements to him, I could see where this is a situation where the all-star play isn't going to come until maybe five or six years. But during this first rookie, during this rookie contract, it may just be kind of like tiny bits of improvements each year where you kind of have to stay with him. So Oh, I don't, I mean, that, that may not be something that you want to hear. That may not be something you're interested in, but for me, at least I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to say he's Kawhi. And I think most of you were saying like baby Kawhi and stuff like that. Like we're just kind of just joking, you know, whatever, whatever. But I, I don't really see that, but I could see a Jalen Brown type of thing where that's how he develops. And then all of a sudden, boom, there you go. So, I, you, you could be right, and I could just as easily see Marvin Williams. If you look at Marvin Williams, who didn't start a game either in his collegiate career for North Carolina, who won a national title, he ended up being the second pick overall. You know, long NBA career, nice player, 
with was with several teams, but he wasn't an all-star. Like if you had asked me today, is he Marvin Williams or is he Kawhi? I'd say he's Marvin Williams. And the reason why, and my biggest concerns are, you know, when I've been around really, really good players, either coached or played with them, they've had a number of traits, which I think absolutely are consistent with all really great players. Uh, and aggressiveness is part of it, but more so like a kind of like a will to dominate. Like when you're playing, I'm going to dominate this game. I'm going to put my stamp on this game somehow, some way to win. And an ability to score at a high level comes along a little later with that. I don't get that sense at all for me. Like I don't, there's many games where I watch him where I'm like, he's literally just walking to the opposite corner and then jacking back. Like, and, you know, I look at Anthony Edwards. I had this debate with somebody else, would you rather have Edwards or Patrick? But I, I take Edwards in a second over Williams. Edwards had a quote he, yesterday. He had 23 points, nine rebounds, four assists, five steals against the uh, the Wolves, against the uh, Jazz for the Wolves. And he had a quote after a game or something about, you know, earlier this year, I can't remember how he phrased it, but his basic point is, why is the team better now? He's like, well, I'm starting. That's why it's better. That's the kind of attitude yeah. you have to have. Like, you just have a, yeah. to believe. Like, I am a kick-ass player, and I will destroy you. Williams has all everything you need but that, in my opinion. You know, I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But that's something I, I really don't see developed in people. I feel like the difference, though, is like <laughs> Anthony Edwards and Patrick Williams, though, they're just completely different players. And Edwards can do a lot more with the ball in his hands, like off the bounce, loud dribble. Whereas Patrick Williams is still trying, like he's more, he's still more in that kind of like glue guy three and D role as his floor. Whereas Edwards is kind of like his floor might be, uh, you know, 16, 17 point per game score. So what his upside might be, I don't know, like maybe he's a top 10 score at his like peak upside. But yeah, I'd much rather have Anthony Edwards, but Patrick Williams is... I still see a really good player there, like a player that can have a high impact on a really, really good team at his peak. We'll see what he can do when he starts playing more for eventually. I think that will be the case. And in the past, we have compared him in a role kind of similar to, at least in terms of role, in terms of like how Jeremy Grant played in Denver. We've kind of talked about that. And Arturis obviously was in Denver. So we kind of look at something like that where, He's a four, can play a little bit of three, can kind of be a mismatch depending on what the other team is giving you. So I, I'm still encouraged by that. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how, like I said, to me, I think I'll have a better grasp next season uh, what he might become um, as if we see the development of what steps he takes. Fred, I do know you need to get going here soon, but I do want to get your thoughts on Kobe White. Uh, I think since he's been put back in the starting lineup. We are seeing a little growth from him. Uh, not as a lead initiator or anything like that, but I feel like he's doing a better job of making like the basic reads when he's attacking the paint. You see him keeping his head up and finding just teammates. Like just yesterday, there was a couple of plays where I actually tweeted out where I saw where, maybe earlier this season, even last year and earlier this season, he wouldn't have made like just getting in the paint, you know, passing it out to passing it to Tice, who's going to attack, who's cutting towards the basket. Um, 
kicking it out to Lari as he's, you know, getting the, the defenses to collapse on him. And again, another kick out to Patrick Williams when he's in the paint. I feel like all those shot, all those possessions would have been like either a forced layup or a, like a floater trying to, you know, make score something or make something happen on his own. Uh, what are your thoughts as far as Ben Kobe's been as he's gotten back into the starting lineup? Well, I think no player has been more unfairly criticized than Kobe White this year. He's 21 years old, the second year. It's like he's given been given some different type of scale for people to to uh, perform to, and he's been unfairly demonized and you know suffered at a PR campaign at the hands of our friend from Australia and some other haters on the kid. It's just insanity to me. He's not a point guard, you know. I thought it was the right decision to let him try to be that, but. Uh, his assist he basically doubled in one year. His points are up. His three-point percentage is basically the same, but his two-point percentage is up five percentage points. His uh, free throw percentage is up 10 percentage points. His field goal percentage overall is up. Like, what else do you want from the kid? He's had a lot on his plate, you know, that he's tried to do in year two. Uh, I'm still a fan of him. You know, I understand he's got limitations. I understand it's frustrating with high turnover ratio. And at times this year, he's looked totally lost, but he's also put up games where he's had eight, three pointers in a game. I uh, put up 31 last night, you know, like I still feel like I've seen more from him in his rookie year. He's only played 122 NBA games as an all-star. I've seen more uh, as, as a, as a NBA player, I've seen more from him that indicate superstardom than other more celebrated players on this team and other teams. So uh, I still believe in him and, you know, he's clearly not probably the point guard, but I think that's a little bit overrated. Like everybody's on this Lonzo Ball thing, and I don't know. I'm not I'm not anywhere near as high on Lonzo Ball. He does bring definitely better perimeter de- defense, which is sorely needed. But I trust Kobe White if the game's on the line with an open jumper more than I trust Lonzo Ball. Another underrated aspect of Kobe White's play this year is he's had a couple really clutch baskets when given the opportunity which is rare because Zach's basically, you know, vacuumed up every opportunity to, to take the big shot, but he's done it quite a bit and, you know, hitting those free throws down the stretch of that other game. Um, he's one of the few guys on the team I would have trust standing at the line. He's going to hit them without, you know, bricking a few. So I like Kobe. I think he's got an excellent work ethic. Uh, and I don't, I'm a little confused as to why people, again, the fan base is just kind of turned on him. Do you sense this too? I've, I've sensed it. I think it's eminently clear that I'd say the vast majority of the fan base now doesn't believe in the kid anymore and would be fine with sending him wherever he wants to go. My theory is this, and let me kind of like bounce that off, bounce this off of you. But I've, I think Kobe's strengths, his best strengths so far in the NBA have been as a catch and shoot off guard to me. It seems like whenever he just gets the ball and can just shoot it quick release, like he's money. But the results off the dribble have been erratic to me. And so far in his NBA career, like we remember a lot of the the big games. Like we remember that game against the Knicks where he hit like what, seven threes or was it like six threes in the fourth quarter or something like that? Like he's had some really fun highs as a scorer. But right, I, I think that most of those highs, like, Right now, some of those highs are coming with Zach Levine out, and it seems because the Bulls need someone to fill that role more, they're willing to give Kobe more of a green light to kind of play that role as an off-the-dribble scorer. But it, it, it's tough because 
the Bulls need the Bulls need a point guard. They need someone who can facilitate at a high level, whether it's a point guard or a point forward. And because we have Neaver, and if we play Kobe with Zach, then I think the hole becomes a lot more glaring than it would if you say you start Sadoransky, I think, with Zach. Whereas Sadoransky, he moves the ball, he gets the ball, he like, you know, he runs the offense, he gets players in good spots. Even though he's not a great scorer, I think he manages the point guard role adequately. So to me, it feels like Kobe struggles while some issues have been on his own. Do you think that some of the issues have also just been because we just don't really have a good fit to put him in the starting lineup to make his strengths like work, I, I guess, in a sense, if you get what I'm saying. Whereas I do, if we had a, like, if we had a, a point forward, like if you had Kay Cunningham, I guess, or Jimmy Butler, someone who's a point forward, you could start Kobe because you wouldn't have to worry about Kobe being a point guard anymore. He's just a catch and shoot guard. But I agree hundred yeah. percent. Yep. Oh, here's, here's where I disagree a little bit is that first of all, you, you've kind of hit on what I kind of think is like the point guard, the point guard, uh, the best things about a point guard and, and the functioning and being able to organize an offense when you brought in Vucevic, he can handle, believe it or not, some of that stuff, right? Get the ball to him and let him make decisions as opposed to having a guy who's just basically a guard at the guard position and run the half court. Lonzo Ball, that's not strength for him. That's not what he does great. He's not a great half, half court you know, point guard. In fact, he's not even playing it. You know, they, they have basically everything run out of Zion now where he, where he is good and what the Bulls need is on the defensive end. That's where they're hurt considerably with Kobe White. But I would counter back to the original point that you were making about Sato. Yeah, Sato, if you're if you're gauge if you're gauging point guard skills strictly on the ability to handle the ball and facilitate running the offense, Sato's better. Where he's not better than Kobe White is he refuses to punish the doubles that are consistently thrown at Vucevic and Levine. And it's maddening and you can't have it. You can't have a guy like Sato and Patrick Williams right now who are both so reluctant to step up and shoot and to punish the doubles that are thrown at those players that it absolutely kills your team. And Kobe White is not afraid to take the shot. He is not afraid to be that third option on the offense. And that's why I think it's bordering on, you know, bad crap crazy to keep this start Sato movement going when, when Zach Levine comes back. Zach Levine's performance was not hurt by Kobe White in the starting lineup. In fact, I would counter, I think was actually helped. So, you know, regardless of how you feel about his skills to organize an offense, you know, it's worked for Portland. I keep on bringing this up and people will chuckle and laugh that I think Kobe White can become a CJ McCollum type of player and you could have two combo guards in the backcourt. I thought it would always work. I have kind of changed my opinion on that just because, you know, Zach and Kobe are so poor defensively. It's that you, you need a stronger defender, ideally at the point guard position. But I, I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, I think Kobe White is very, a lot more similar to Zach. And therefore, you know, you're probably, you're probably better off separating their minutes. But in the long run, down the stretch of games, I do feel better about him playing with those two because he's not afraid to step up. Yeah. That was. Well, that was something I was disappointed in too, because I, I thought Kobe would be a better team defender than he has been so far. And agreed. That hasn't been the case. 
Yeah, I think well, I think it's funny the 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 CJ and Dame comparison as far as the defensive end. You're not far off there just because CJ and Dame are really bad defensively. They're that's they're a big reason why Portland actually is one of the worst defenses in the league. They're they're not good at all. And that's my concern with Kobe and Zach. It's just a defensive fit. And I maybe Kobe's job in the offseason is just to get stronger. Because it's maddening how every time there's a screen, he gets caught up behind every single screen. Like, I, I don't think there's been one time where he's done a good job um, of either fighting through it or keeping up with the guy that he's defending. It always, that's what always happens. And obviously there's other issues. Like, he's always getting, um, you know, lost off the ball and a lot of backdoor cuts and things like that. But yeah, I think that's the biggest concern for me personally is the defensively. It's I worry about that pairing. I think Zach has gotten better, but he's still not really a guy that you want to defend the point of attack. So then you want to have somebody next to Zach that can be that guy. Mm-hmm. Sorry, but I cut out on there for a second. I agree. I think what a lot what we're all in agreement on. Oh, I'm curious to get your opinion on Lonzo Ball. I do have a few more minutes here, so I could text the wife. So do have a few more minutes. Lonzo Ball, are you guys both Lonzo? Are you ball boys or are you more, you know, my concern is if you're signing Lonzo Ball, let's, let's go forward this offseason. We sign him. He's going to be signed for between 20 and 25 million per year. You've just locked yourself into, you know, 75 million or so, three-fourths of your cap, a significant part of your cap into Lonzo Ball, Vucevic, and, and, and uh, Zach Levine. And really hamstrung yourself in terms of improving the rest of the roster or you you better believe that Patrick Williams is going to develop in that star by 2023. Like, I'm not sure that's the right way to go. I'd much prefer to, you know, trade for a Rubio, an older point guard on, uh, on a less years, just because I don't believe Lonzo balls all that. I, you know, um, he has improved his free throw percentage to the point where I'd be fine with us signing him and he's better than anybody we have right now. And I do like his defense but I don't think he's that great on the half court and he's very inconsistent shooter still. So I don't know. Well, I'm I, curious to get your input. I think, I think his defense would be a huge upgrade over what we have. He's so much no doubt. point of attack than what we have on this roster. Uh, Lonzo's not a perfect fit. He's not, we're not a perfect fit. He's not a perfect solution to our issues. He's not an elite facilitator. He's not an elite playmaker, but He's a really good defender. He can knock down the three-point shot. And I, I think there are some of like some of his strengths offensively and defensively can really benefit being in a backcourt with Zach Levine. I think you would have a really good backcourt with those two. But you do make a good point that if you sign Lonzo Ball to 20, 22, 23, I don't know how much it's going to take. But if you sign him into a big contract, then yeah, you are essentially saying that, okay, the core of this team going forward is Zach. Uh, Vooch and Lonzo let's see how well that does and I think that could be a playoff team I think that can make the playoffs but it's like I said it's not it's not a perfect solution and there are still flaws but it's better than what we have so it would be an improvement Um, the only really surefire solution is if you could somehow get an elite point guard but we're kind of we don't really have a way to do that if someone does have an elite point guard they're not moving them so uh, I, I, I'm for Lonzo. I'm for getting Lonzo Ball. Uh, I, I wouldn't pay him like 
huge, huge money. I wouldn't go above and beyond to make sure he's here, but I, I definitely think he could be a part of a solution, even if he doesn't remedy everything. So I agree with everything Edward said, and I'll say, I'll add this. So earlier in the season, I was comfortable with going with 20 million for him, just with the way he was playing. I do wonder though, now how much he's cost himself just because in the last like two months, I think his shooting numbers have just kind of plummeted. Uh, and I just, like I said, I do wonder how much money he's cost himself. So maybe if you can get him for like 15 million, I, I think that that would be pretty good. I think no chance. I mean, no chance. 15, 18, I don't know, like something like that. I think that's, that could be reasonable, but like I said, I, I would, I would see maybe other options out of there. I, I wouldn't go like 25 million for him. No, definitely not that. Yeah. If, if you sign him for 15 million, if you, you throw a contract firm for him for 15 million, I can guarantee the Pelicans will match that and then look to trade him as an asset down the road, because there's no way 15 well, million Bertans sec- makes 15 million. Right. I mean, like, no, sure. There, there's, yeah, he, there's enough cap space and enough teams out there that are going to give him 20 million a year at least. That, to me, that's the minimum. I think it's likely he'll get between 20 and 25. Yeah, it's um, about sign and trade too, though. Like, I'm not thinking of just offering him a, a street. Like, if you can approach him for a sign and trade, that would be the ideal situation. Maybe something you can work out. I don't know. Yeah, it's just like, go ahead. Real quick, would you? So, as an I know, I know we're still pressed for time, but uh, as an alternative to Lonzo Ball, would you trade for Malcolm Brogdon if he's available? There were rumors at the trade deadline that the Pacers were, you know, at least entertaining the thought of moving him. He's uh, 21, 22 million of the next two seasons, and uh, Brogdon's always been a pretty solid player. I mean, you, he's always been a high level three point shooter, a good team defender. He's averaging 21, 5 and 5 this season. I know he's not going to average that. You know, if he comes to the Bulls, probably will drop down a little bit. But I mean, would that be something that's a better alternative than the ball? Absolutely. I love Malcolm Brogdon. Brogdon, everything about him would be a perfect fit for our team on the defensive end and as a shooter. But you know, the issue with him is he's always hurt and uh, or hurt a lot. Unfortunately, he's not getting any younger. But I absolutely would. I think he's making twenty million a year. I would absolutely bring him in ahead of Lonzo Ball because. You won't be under a long-term restriction on him. I also like Ricky Rubio. There are a couple other guys in names that were thrown out there on, on, on shorter term contracts that could give you, you know, probably not as good of a, uh, an option as, as, as a ball would be, but it wouldn't tie you up for four years. I, I just think Lonzo ball made 20, 25 million a year, along with your commitment you've made to Zach, which is going to become a max deal, you know, in the year after next. And then also Vucevic, who's got a good contract, but it's not cheap. You got a meaningful on the books next year. It's like, I, I think you really limit yourself what you're going to do. And I don't think that team is good enough. I don't think Ball, Vucevic, and Levine get you anywhere near a, a title. So, um, you know, I think it's got to be done some other way. And it, uh, it's all dependent on Patrick Williams. One of two things. He either becomes a star and we keep him. Or he becomes good enough that he's a tradable asset to bring in a star. And I don't think he's, you know, we'll see where it ends up. I, I'm just very frustrated with the last couple of weeks where he's been, you know, um, again, it's way too early. He's 19. I'm not like saying he's going to be terrible. I think at a minimum, he'll be a Marvin Williams type of player, which is still a good player, but it's not good enough for us to win a title. If he ends up 
really believe in himself and in in and be fulfilling all the talents that he has, then we're talking the title 2020, 2023 and all my prophecies come true. I just, <laughs> we'll see what, we'll see what happens. I'm not really my feeling name. great about it now. One, one last yeah. thing. One last yeah. thing. I, I need you to make a commitment here because you two <laughs> tweeted me. You tweeted me that you will announce your retirement as Bulls probably oh, if you don't win it in 2022. I screenshotted it. I have it saved. The internet is forever. The internet so, is forever. No, no excuses. No excuses. No making up that, you know, you you had hay fever that day or you had like, it's like <laughs> leap year. I don't know if it's leap year in 2023, but no excuses. Will you commit to my it? Retire- uh, not only that, I'll commit to it on your show. I'll, I'll come on your show and announce my retirement as a prophet and, uh, and I'll, I will admit my failure. I still believe, like, I still think that I, I disagree with a lot of people who think we're, we're that far away. The East isn't that good. All the best teams are aging. I was watching Durant today. I mean, I don't think Durant has any more years left. I don't think a lot of these guys are in the prime. They're all on the downside of their career with the exception of Milwaukee, uh, their best players. And obviously the two best players in Boston, and that's not really working out well. So, like, I think this East is we're a lot closer to the top than people think. And with a couple of really good moves, specifically on the defensive end, to support our offensive players who are not good defensively. If you really mold the team in our tourists, we get a whole offseason to uh, to spend time with our younger players to help them develop. I'm really excited about our future. But I will admit, if we don't make the playoffs this year and we lose that pick, it will be absolutely devastating absolutely devastating because at some point we do have to ask ourselves or what is Zach Levine thinking like why would he want to stay here if we're going to miss the playoffs this year and then potentially next year what he's not getting any younger why would he not want to go to a Dallas or somewhere else where he might be better set up to succeed do you guys ever think about that because I think about it all the time you know like we had this discussion a little bit Celine today online like you think we're a lot better positioned to get him to, to commit to us long term, and I don't feel that. I don't feel that way. Why? Why do you feel that? I mean, I there's no indication that he wants to leave. I mean, it could happen certainly, but I'm not. That's not my concern right now. My concern right now is just adding pieces so they can be competitive. Like I'm not thinking about okay, well Zach is going to leave you know, when unrestricted free agency comes, my thought is like, my thought going into this trade deadline is like, let's add some players. So you added Vooch, you you showed Zach, yeah, we're committed to try to add players to try to get better. And I feel like, you know, a lot of the issues has been a couple of where he got his ankle injury didn't help. There's chemistry issues as far as there's not a lot of practice. I know these sound like, like bad excuses, but I don't think they are. I think it's fair when you add such a big piece to a team like, like Vooch, you need to be able to practice and and play with each other for a while to build that chemistry. So I think all of those things have hurt them as well. And then you talk about little pieces, like even adding some decent two-way players. I'm not even talking about like, you know, getting stars. Like let's say you add a couple of guys like on the level of Temple that can come yes. in and just defend Agreed. that would make the team so much better. So you do those little things. I think you'll see, I think next season we'll see a better team coming up because like I said, you'll have more time chemistry built. 
You'll have like the whole training camp working together. And I fully believe that AK will add pieces this offseason to kind of build a team out more, have a more full of a full roster. I agree hundred percent. I agree hundred percent. I, I, I hope that's what happens. And, and you made a great point, you know, adding a player like Temple has been huge for us this year. Hmm. And uh, you know, I think those, those guys are out there. Those are role players that really improve your defense. You know, Gary Trent junior types um, are, are really big, would be a big addition. What say you Edward? To me, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with Salim here. I don't see any like, anything in the tea leaves that really suggests that Zach Levine is looking to leave Chicago. Of course, anything is possible, but I think he wants to be here. And I think you had to do something at the trade deadline. I think it, you know, everyone's been talking about how, you know, if we don't get a top four pick and we miss the playoffs, I mean, of course that sucks, but you had to stick your neck out one way or the other. Right. And if a deal was available to get a player like Vooch, who you can pair with Zach Levine, I think that says more than just not doing anything. So the fact that Karnishevis and Eversley were willing to stick their neck out and risk this deal in order to build a good team around Zach Levine, I think that speaks volumes. And I think if I'm Zach Levine, I'm looking at it like, okay, well, these guys, they believe in me. They want to build a team, you know, with me. So, you know, leaving, you know, why would I do that? You know, why would I want to leave? You know, big market uh, executives want to build around me. They want to pay me. I, I don't know. I don't see the downside. So it, it really is just all going to come down to how Karnishavis and Eversley are going to build this team in the offseason. And I've been saying it lately. I think even though the draft pick sucks, I think there is plenty of evidence out there to, suge- to suggest that Carnivus and Eversley can build this team by exhausting each market that's available. One of the things that was uh, a downfall of the previous regime is that John Paxson could not exhaust each market. He couldn't improve a team via the trade market. He was good at the draft, uh, which had declined in recent years. Free agency was his thing as well, but those were really the only two things. But if you look at how Denver uh, built their team when Carnivorous was there, they built through a draft. They built. Uh, they had some smart free agent signings. They had, uh, you know, they were getting players off waivers. They were use, utilizing the uh, developmental league. They were making trades. They were doing everything. And you kind of look at it in the sense of the Utah Jazz, who had a really good season. Utah got. Conley through trade. They got Joe Ingles off waivers. They got Clarkson through a trade. Their two best players, Mitchell and Gobert, were draft moves where they either traded players they had to move into a spot or they traded up with other picks to get to a spot to get that player. So I think there's going to be a lot of mixing and matching here. And I think we're going to have a good team. I I really don't have any reason to doubt Carnishivis and Eversley so far. And I think Zach Levine may be thinking it's like, uh, the same thing. I hope you're right. You know, I, I, I do think, uh, I, I, I never thought the previous regime was that bad <laughs> as, as famously known. I'm out of step with the rest of the fan base. on this. Like <laughs> I always, I always bring up this point. 2007, they drafted Noah at number nine because they traded Eddie Curry and put themselves in position to switch picks with the New York Knicks. 2008, they draft Rose number one, despite one third of the fan base, Wanting Beasley because we already had a point guard in Kirk Heinrich. 2009, they draft Taj Gibson. 
2010, they hired Tom Thibodeau. 2011, they draft Jimmy Butler at number 30. Those five years, are they ever going to be equated by any subsequent GM? Do you think, is it likely their tours beats those five years? It could happen. Going to be, I, don't know. I hope so. I hope happen. so. But it's, it's a, I hope it's so. But I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm highly doubtful that that's going to happen. I think that's going to be a really hard record to beat um, because he drafted, you know, like I said, Noah Rose, Taj, and Jimmy Butler. Those are, it's a lot of the four icons in, our, in the history of our organization. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's and, and the great Thibodeau. Yeah. It's a, it's a, and then, you know, no doubt about it, it's time for them to go. I'm not, I'm not going to argue this. Like they needed to go. It was more than long enough and it was time for new blood. And I'm really excited about our tourists, but I'm not as, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm not as uh, definitely drinking the Kool-Aid saying, you know, tourists, we trust, I trust. I think he's been, so far done a good job. I liked all his moves he's made so far, but you know, we'll see where it goes. Yeah. We'll, we'll see where it goes. I I'm encouraged. And like I said, I think there are some moves that you could absolutely question. You can absolutely question this trade. It's no, it's by no means a foolproof trade. Like there's risk in doing it. It's just a matter of like, Hey, let's see where this. I love goes. the trade. Yeah. I love the trade. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I yeah. think it was the absolute right move, but there's no denying the results have been oh, yeah. beyond disappointing. Yeah. And um, it's missing tough. the playoffs would be a travesty. It, it's tough making these midseason trades like this. And especially in the current conditions where you're not practicing much and, you know, there's other players on the team who haven't really assimilated well. Like it's everyone in the league is dealing with it. And for a team like the Bulls, who was kind of already struggling coming in, like that same reality kind of holds true. So, Hopefully with, you know, more practice, more training camp, players being able to do more uh, back to like a regular offseason regimen. Hopefully things will start to mix well for the team and hopefully the front office will uh, have some good moves that they can make that can really bolster the surrounding cast, a supporting cast on this team. Because we again, we're we're having too many games where it's just two players doing well and everyone else is just five, six, four, three. Like, it's just that that's not going to be a good formula to succeed. Uh, Fred, thank you so much, man, for joining us. This was a great talk. And uh, yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, I agree. This was really, really enjoyed. It was pretty a deep, uh, deep discussion on a lot of uh, topics. That I thought you know, definitely a lot more. Um, what's the word I'm trying to say? It, it, it was a more spiritual spiritual enlightening <laughs> <laughs> not, as jo- not as jovial i still i still enjoyed it but like i think we did get to the heart of a lot of topics going forward that i hope the listeners will enjoy but yeah you guys are great i love listening to everything you guys do so uh thanks for having me on and uh, all the best to you guys this weekend go bulls all right all right thank you so much fred salim any closing thoughts before we wrap up yeah you know i always love interacting with fred he makes me laugh uh he's just you know, I, I love his uh, enthusiasm. It's just kind of weird, though, right now. He he kind of, you and me were more uh, C-Red Salim and C-Red Ed more than uh, Fred was C-Red <laughs> Fred. We had to kind of pull him in a little bit. I, I was That was uh, that was a fun, interesting uh, moment there. But, yeah. yeah, you know, obviously, we're all hoping that, you know, a lot of these moves do turn around. And, and we'll see what happens as as the season goes on. I think you're seeing a little more chemistry building. Uh, whenever Zach comes back, we'll see. 
if he can kind of get in. That's going to be interesting because he's kind of seeing a little chemistry building with this team. So when he comes back, he's going to want to be kind of, you know, smoothly transitioning into the team as opposed to coming in and just being that same guy that has that high usage. And I do like the fact that they're playing through Vooch a lot more than they were prior to Zach going out. So we'll see how that all that works out. But again, yeah, thanks so much for Fred for coming on. And yeah, that's about it. Yeah, uh, you made a good point there that uh, we're usually more like kind of like neutral, kind of like even line, like we'll, we're more like objective and we were kind of like see red the whole time. And uh, he even gave us a, a new term. Like I hadn't heard the term uh, ball boys before. So I kind of like that. Most <laughs> of all, we're ball boys. <laughs> I'm rolling hey, <laughs> I'm still pretty see red. You got to admit, I mean, I'm, I'm basing my whole career as the bulls profit on the, them winning by 2023. It can't get any more see red than that. So. <laughs> I might've been a little bit down after last night, but I still believe. So I, I, I'm all behind it to our tourists and, I think there are better times to come. They, they can't get much worse. So absolutely. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good one. It was great talking to you. Yeah. Thank uh, you so too. much. Bye bye. All right. This wraps up uh, today's Bulls Gold. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Bulls Gold. You can follow Salim on Twitter at Jordan Dynasty. And you can follow me on Twitter at Edward Schuler Jr. And you can check out all of our past shows on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, you can catch us right here on Nothing But Net Radio every Tuesday morning, 9, 8 central. So for Salim Surawala, I'm Edward Schuler. This has been Bulls Gold, and we will catch you next time, Bulls fans.